Amen. Well, we are beginning this morning our follow along. Uh, you can find fill in the blank notes on our app, North Northern BC, in your app store. Uh, we'd love to encourage you to do that. If you want to just get a copy of my notes, if that will help you, reach out to me, let me know. I'd love to send you a copy of them just so you can have that on hand for your own study. Uh, you can improve them and, you know, correct all the things that I get wrong. Most likely, no, I'm just kidding. Never get anything wrong. But, um, But no, we're so excited for this series, so excited for the next four weeks to dive into this idea of getting back to the basics. And so our goal, and I I love to kind of set the stage for what we want to do in the next four weeks so that you're prepared and you know what we desire to see happen in these four weeks. And so one thing I want to say is commit to four weeks. Make a commitment right now today and say, Lord, if possible, by your grace, I'm going to be here every one of these messages. I'm going to commit to that. But secondly, I want to share with you the goal of this series, like what we hope to accomplish by God's grace through the next four weeks. And our goal is to reexamine and reaffirm the essentials of the Christian faith. That's our goal, to reexamine and reaffirm the essentials of the Christian faith. Now, if we really wanted to dive into every one of these things with the weight and the time that you could, we're talking probably a 16-week series, not a four-week series. So understand, we are going to touch on some things and move through some topics relatively quickly, but our goal is to re-examine and reaffirm the essentials of the Christian faith. There are many Christians that have received Christ as Lord and Savior. They've, they've confessed their sins, repented of their sins, and trusted in Christ as their Savior, and have never really been discipled to the point of understanding some of the basics of what the Bible teaches and what Christianity has held to since its founding 2,000 years ago. There are so many Christians that get saved and receive Christ, maybe through a friend sharing Christ with them, which is awesome. I love what Pastor Greg prayed, that we can go out and we can share our faith, and we can examine that and say, Lord, I want to give Christ to this person and, and let the Lord work in that, that they would come to know Christ. But so often Christians stop right there. And we don't always take that next step of discipleship or getting them to a place where they're in a church where that church can come alongside and disciple them. It's almost like we're like, well, you're saved. I'm done. Good luck. God bless you, right? But that's not how the Bible lays out that idea of evangelism and discipleship. And that's why I love the fact that we have the blessed opportunity as followers of Christ to not only lead someone to Christ, but help walk with someone through what it means to walk with Christ. And what's the best way to do that? The best way to encourage someone in their walk with Christ is to model before them your walk with Christ. And I've always been amazed that God orchestrated it that way. So the best way for me to encourage somebody else in their walk with Christ is to have a consistent walk of my own. So what's the best way to have a consistent walk of my own? To purposely say, I want to lead someone else in that. You see, it's not just me telling you how to walk with Christ. I need to have that relationship and that experience myself. And again, through that, God will take his word by the work of the Holy Spirit and apply it to that person's life and situation. And so we want to do that over the next four weeks. We're going to dive into these basics, get back to the basics of what a foundation looks like in our faith. As I was thinking about this series, this thought came to my mind, which I believe has happened and continues to happen in a lot of churches. There is a risk in our church culture today. There is a risk in our church culture today where preferences are preached as doctrine and doctrine is perceived as preference. So there's a, there's a risk, there's kind of a danger in church culture today 
where preferences are preached as doctrine, that's legalism, where some kind of an extra biblical conviction that somebody personally holds to is preached as though this is the only way that it is. That's a preference being preached as doctrine. And the word doctrine just means teaching. And scripture uses that to talk about the teachings that we should be communicating one to another in the body of Christ. Things about who God is, what God has called us to, and all these things. And there's a, a lot of churches, a lot of places where preferences are preached as doctrine. But equally dangerous is where doctrine is perceived as preference. You preach something from the word of God that is clearly defined as a biblical teaching. This is from the word of God and people hear it and go, well, yeah, but that's not true for me. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. Or that doesn't fit my situation so I can disregard that. There are essentials that we need to get back to. You see, neither one of those extremes is biblical and yet both are damaging so how do we avoid those types of mindsets? Now, this is just one example. There's many different forms of this, but how do we avoid those types of mindsets? Well, we must get back to building our Christian lives on the basics, on the essentials of the Christian faith that the Bible lays forth. And we must make a choice. Are we going to choose to submit to those teachings that the Bible lays forth as biblical doctrines or are we going to stand in opposition to them because they do not fit our desires? So to avoid the mindset of preference being preached as doctrine or lived out as doctrine and doctrines being treated as preferences, to avoid that, we have to say, okay, what does the Bible actually lay forth as truth? And then from that, am I going to submit to that as truth? Or am I going to just pick and choose what fits my desires and what I would like to have happen? And so as a text I want to open up to this morning, I believe it lays a great groundwork for our talk this morning. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 10 through 17. So 2 Timothy 3, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are some Bibles in the seats there. If you'd like to use one, you're, you're welcome to. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 840. So 2 Timothy 3, in the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 840, and you'll find 2 Timothy 3. So again, this is kind of like our, our foundational text. This is going to lay the groundwork for the rest of the series. So it's going to help us through this morning, but it's a good kind of a springboard into what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. So this morning, we're talking about a firm foundation, that we have a firm foundation in this Christian life. But over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some basics regarding Lord's Supper, baptism. Um, we're going to talk about what does it really mean to have a consistent walk with Christ as far as evangelism and discipleship and serving. Um, one of the weeks, probably the last week, we're going to talk about some of the basic questions that I've been asked in ministry. So as a pastor, I love people asking me different questions. And it's always a little interesting when someone says, hey, can I talk to you? I've got a, a question for you but there's no parameter of what the question involves. And I'll be honest with you. I sit at my desk and I go, that'd be great. I'll be here till this time. And they're like, all right, I'll be by in 20 minutes. And I'm like, great. I put the phone down. Lord, I have no idea what they're going to ask me or want to talk about. So I need you to give me wisdom. because, And I have found in ministry, the gambit that is those questions is wide. 
everything from personal things to something they're battling with with somebody else or a work thing or a financial thing or a relationship thing or a sin thing or just a general curiosity about some passage they read in the Bible. And they'll sit down and they'll go, oh, I was reading in such and such text. And I know you probably know this preacher because you're a pastor and, you know, we memorized the whole thing. That was part of my Bible college degree. I had to memorize this whole book. So I got it pretty well taken care of. But kidding, of course. But they'll sit down and they'll do that. And I love that. I love answering and working through and talking about those things. And so what we're going to do the last Sunday, I'm not quite sure how we're going to structure it yet, but I'm going to take some of the kind of frequently asked questions I've received over ministry that deal with the basics of the Christian faith or some things that revolve around that and kind of just walk through those with us together and maybe it'll help in some way. So we've got a lot of ground to cover in the next four weeks, but this passage in 2 Timothy 3 is really kind of laying the framework for what we hope to accomplish. So 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. Now, Paul's writing here, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor, by young, most likely in his 20s. Um, and when we think about this, Paul's also preparing to, to be martyred for the faith. He's preparing to leave this world. And so these are kind of his last words to this young man that most likely Timothy came to faith, or at least some level of understanding of faith, through his mother and grandmother. But as far as actually being led to Christ, many believe Paul was the one that actually led Timothy to Christ as far as receiving the gospel. But there was already a framework of faith. There was already understanding of who God is from his mother and grandmother. And so what a praise for the godly heritage that we can have as Christian families. Amen. That where dads and moms and grandmas and grandpas can begin to lay into and, and provide for their children and grandchildren a basic understanding of what it means to know Christ. And so if some of you grew up in homes, you didn't have that. You didn't have a Christian parent or a Christian uh, influence in your home. So you came to Christ at some point through some other means. And, and maybe you look back and you, man, I wish I could have had that when I was growing up. Some of you grew up in a Christian home and, and you thought it was a bad thing. You kind of wished you didn't have that because you've been saved since you can remember. I mean, you were like in nursery professing Jesus at like, you know, two years old. So you don't even have any knowledge of anything outside of that. And you think, oh, I never really got to live life and experience life and all that. But that's a lie because if you got the heritage of Christian faith in your background, that is a huge blessing. That is a blessing of God. And by the way, if you're here today and you know Christ and you didn't grow up in a Christian home, but maybe you now have a family, you get to be that catalyst of change for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It begins and starts with you then, and you begin to see God work in that way. So Timothy here is a young man. He knows the word. He knows the Lord. He's pastoring and he's trying to do what God has called him to do. And Paul's writing some words of encouragement to him. Now also notice in 2 Timothy, you're not going to find Paul complaining about his situation. You're not going to find Paul complaining about being in a prison or knowing that he's going to lose his life. You don't see that. Paul's just merely using this in a way to kind of encourage and speak to what Timothy needs to hear. So 2 Timothy 3.10. Now we know a little bit about the background. Let's dive in. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. So Paul's saying, you've seen all of this, Timothy. You know what I believe. You know what I've gone through. You know my purpose, my life goal. You know what I hope to accomplish. Again, also, Paul's not boasting here. 
Paul's not saying, I got it all figured out, Timothy. Because just if you think he's saying that, go back to Romans 7. You're going to find out Paul says, those things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. So why is that? Because there's still sin in me. And so what's Paul doing here? He's saying, listen, Timothy, you've seen this modeled before you. You can see the walk of Christ that I, that walk with Christ that I have. Verse 11. Not only those things, but he says, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. That's interesting. He's saying, I endured all those things, means I was put through those things. I, I kind of walked through those things. But then what does, the Paul, what does Paul say? But the Lord delivered me. The Lord didn't deliver Paul by removing him from those things. That's not what Paul's saying, because Paul went through a lot of things that God let him go through. Acts 16, being beaten and thrown into prison. God could have removed him right out of that situation, but God allowed him to go through that. Why? I believe so the Philippian jailer and his household would come to Christ. So we wonder sometimes, God, why are you letting me go through this? And we don't understand how God's going to work in that, but that doesn't mean God's not working in that. So what does Paul mean when he says, but he delivered me? I believe what Paul's saying is, yeah, I might have endured those things and went through those things, but I came out the other side and closer to the Lord. The Lord was with me. The Lord brought me through those things. He took care of me and gave me strength through all these things. So he's giving all the glory where? To the Lord. I didn't get me through the persecutions. I didn't get me through all those things. I didn't have patience in myself. All of these things are to glorify the Lord. Remember, Paul also says, I'm the least of all the apostles, least of all the saints. So he's humble. He's not boasting here. Verse 12. Yea, and all that, li- that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He's saying, this is not just my story. This is the Christian story. If you're a follower of Christ, there will be some degree of persecution. Not the same level of persecution, but there will be some level of persecution. Why? Jesus said, if they hated me in the world, they're going to hate you. You stand for things that are in contrast to the things of the world for standing for Christ. That will bring some degree of persecution. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That just means they'll get worse and worse. They'll build. It'll be worse and worse as time goes on. Deceiving and being deceived. So these wicked men, these unsaved individuals that don't know God, don't know Christ, Things are going to get worse. Their deceptions are going to get worse, but they're also going to be greatly deceived. Not only are they deceiving others, but their deception is growing as well. So again, when I read verse 13, I don't get angry or upset. I, have, I feel sympathy. These people that don't know Christ, they're just deceived by the enemy. And man, what a blessed privilege that we get to take them the knowledge of Christ and by grace through faith that if they receive Christ, the deception will end. And they'll be exposed to truth, and they walk in the truth to glorify God. And so again, verse 13 is Paul reminding Timothy, there'll be those in your area of influence, those in the community, maybe even those in your church that are being deceived, and they're going to grow worse and worse, and their deceptions will grow. Verse 14, but continue thou. And I love this. He's saying, okay, all of that's true. Now, Timothy, here's your, here's your commission continue. He says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, again, because of the influence of a mom and a grandma that knew God and knew the word, meaning the Old Testament, and instilling that in Timothy at a young age. 
And he says this, those holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture. What a, this is that verse that I, you hear quoted a lot, but put it in its context. Paul saying old and new, it's all scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's a very famous pastor that wants to at least encourage his church to just get rid of the Old Testament. We don't need it. We're New Testament believers. This passage completely contradicts that way of thinking. We need the word of God in its entirety. You can't understand the new without the old. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable because it's inspired, not because we deem it profitable by what it does in our lives. It says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God or woman of God may be perfect. That just means mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm his word in our heart and mind. Father, we come before you today, Lord, a hungry people. We thank you for the time of worship we've already had. And I don't just mean the music, Lord, but the time of prayer and offering and worship and everything that goes with that. And Lord, now as we continue this worship service into the studying of your word, the reading of your word, we pray that you are glorified. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our understanding to these words. Help us to have a wisdom that is beyond us, but um, is achievable and attainable because of you working in us. Help us to realize and to see the need to get back to the basics, to simplify things down and to honestly ask ourselves in these essential elements, where are we at? How would we evaluate our walk? And do we find ourselves giving time and, and priority to these things? Lord, again, that you would be glorified and we would see you work in our lives in a mighty way to bring more and more people to Christ, to produce more and more fruit for your glory. So Lord, again, give us your wisdom and guidance in all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Paul writes to Timothy, what is the encouragement? We find it there in verse 14. Continue in what you have learned. Now, this word continue means abide or remain. Abide or remain. Another kind of passage that comes to my mind, I don't know if it would be considered a sister, ver or sister passage in the sense that it really connects to it, but in my mind, I think of John 15. So maybe you'd write down John 15 in your notes and go back and study that. That's the famous passage where Jesus talks about abiding in him. Paul's encouragement is similar. Timothy, you need to abide and remain in the things that you have learned. Now, this word continue in regard to a state or a condition. So the state that somebody's in or the condition they're in, when it's used in that regard to say, hey, you need to continue in that state or continue in that position, it actually carries the idea of remaining as one, not to become another or different. So it's saying the condition you're in, Follower of Christ, continue in that state. Don't let others, verse 13, don't let others push you out of that, but remain. Continue in the same state that you are. Timothy was not to allow the deception of the evil men, again, verse 13, to lure him away from the truth. He was to remain in the faith no matter what it might cost him. And Paul just established it's going to cost you something. And if our church culture in America today needs to hear a reminder or an affirmation to something, it's we need to continue in the things that we've learned. 
And we need to not let our culture change or distract or lure us away to changing what God's word has said. But we live in a culture today that is pushing and pulling and trying to convince that we got to think about things this way, that there's not just man and woman, there's so many other things and, and all this other nonsense. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, those evil men, they're going to get worse and worse and their deception's going to grow greater and greater. And as that's happening, you continue. You just continue and remain abiding in the truth that you've learned. And what did he learn? The truth of the word of God. And when I was reading this passage this week again, as the Lord kind of brought this to my mind for this series, I was blown away, blown away by the, how applicable it is to our culture today. That so many churches and so many pastors and so many Christians have chose not to continue. But they've changed. They've become something different. They're not remaining in that same mindset. We live in a culture that desires for us to abandon our foundations to change and become something different than what God's word calls us to. And yet we are encouraged by our culture to change God's word as well, to blend the word of God with cultural norms. But the truth is our lives in Christ are built upon a firm foundation that cannot be shaken and cannot be changed. And that firm foundation is the foundation of faith. It's the foundation of our faith. Paul tells Timothy, you need to continue in the things that you've learned. What have you learned? You've learned of the faith. So if you're taking notes there, the foundation of our faith, the first thing we want to talk about is that it is revealed in the word of God. The foundation of our faith is revealed in the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.15, we read it. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, God chose to reveal himself to us and how we can actually know him or rather be known by him. You could jot down, it's in your notes there if you're following on the app, Galatians chapter four, verse nine. There is no greater truth in the gospel, in the receiving of the gospel than that, yes, we know God, but how much greater is it to know that God chooses to know us? And don't just know about us and know of our existence to know that we were created, but he chooses to know us intimately, intimately. That through Christ, we become a son and daughter of God. And see, that's what Paul's referring to. Listen, the scriptures made you aware of that. God chose to reveal himself when he didn't have to. Do you know God is not obligated, was never obligated to reveal himself to mankind? He chose to reveal himself. He chose to engage in relationship with humanity because that's what he desired. And so he reveals through scripture, not only that we were created in the image of God, but he also reveals in scripture that sin entered in, Genesis 3, that mankind fell into sin, all of creation falls into sin, and where God was completely right and completely just, he could have just obliterated the whole human race, and every animal species on planet Earth and started over if he wanted to. But he chose to offer grace and to offer relationship. And through scriptures, through the study of God's word, the old and the new, we find the fulfillment of that offering in Genesis 3 that was made aware to Adam and Eve that they could continue a relationship had its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. That when he died on the cross, 
He died as the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect spotless lamb that anyone who professes Christ as Lord repents of their sin and finds truth in that sacrifice can be forgiven of their sin. And all of that is made aware to us through the word. You see, only through his word is the way of salvation made clear. Since God is the author of salvation, his word becomes our definitive source. If God is the author of salvation, then his word becomes the only accurate, reliable source to draw out the truth of salvation. This is why what Richard C. and Tammy C. shared over the last two weeks is so vital. There are people groups all over the world that do not have a copy of God's word in their own language. But if the word of God is where we find the source of the knowledge of salvation, then the greatest need those people groups have is a copy of God's word in their language. And I'm so thankful for so many that have done so much over the years and the decades to get these Bibles translated, to spend time and time and time working on these things. And I shared before that Ron and Debbie Abrams spent almost 25 years, close to 30 years, among the Buddhic people of Senegal, West Africa, before they were able to fully translate the New Testament. And that, it was so, so amazing. Back in, I think it was 2015, they sent us, as a church, one of their supporting churches, a copy of the New Testament that they translated. And they sent along with it a video of the people receiving the Bibles for the first time. And I've never seen a celebration like that. It was, it was the most joyful thing, singing and just shouting praises to him and seeing people hugging the Bible and just so thankful for this treasure that you and I come home on Sunday and we toss it down somewhere and we don't think of it again until Sunday. And these people are singing and shouting and praising. Why? Because they have a copy in their own language. See, this is why it is so vital that we support what God is doing in foreign mission, missionaries, in uh, foreign people groups, and doing our part to see God reach these people with their own language for the word of God. Romans ten fourteen makes it clear. How can they believe if they have not heard? So there's the, you need to hear about Christ. Verse 17 of Romans 10 continues. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, it is the word of God. And in the word of God that we discover that salvation is only through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the last time, that last time I preached, actually, which it's a little bit, I kind of get back in the habit up here. It's been a few weeks. Um, but I've been so thankful to have not only Pastor Greg, who uh, does an amazing job communicating God's word, share with you uh, while we were gone on vacation and out camping and doing different things, but then these last two weeks to have Richard C. and Tammy C. with you. Um, just an amazing blessing it's been to kind of just hear how God is working in all these ways. But a couple weeks ago, I preached kind of a message about the gospel, very, very in-depth. And so if you missed that, you can go back and, and listen to that. But this morning, I want to give us just a quick kind of summary of the gospel because it is the only way that we find salvation. What is it that the gospel or that the scriptures reveal to us? The truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation on which we stand. You see, when we believe the gospel, there's some key things that we're saying we believe. When we believe the gospel, we believe that there is a holy God who is creator and judge. When you and I believe the gospel, we're communicating that we believe there is a holy God who is creator and judge. Sinless, perfect, righteous, 
holy, majestic, and all these other things that we can use to describe this God. But the basic idea is that he is a holy God. He is creator, and he is our judge. But also when we believe the gospel, we believe that he has revealed himself through the Bible, as we just communicated. We believe that mankind is born in sin, both a sin nature and a propensity to sin. It's not just that we were born with a sin nature and we can blame Adam for everything and Eve for everything. No, no, no. We're born with that sin nature, but we also desire sin and we also commit sin. You see, if you die in your sin apart from Christ, then God righteously and justly sentences us to a place of hell. That is not because of Adam. We are cast aside because of our sin, sin that I've committed, that I'm liable for. And so that's what we recognize when we believe the gospel. We believe that mankind is born in sin, both a sin nature and a propensity to sin. We believe that God requires a payment for sin for all of humanity. We believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried and rose again as a payment for all who would believe and trust in Christ. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. We confess our sins, we repent or turn from our sin and believe on the name of Christ, receiving the grace of God. The sinless life of Christ is gifted or the the theological term is imputed. It's granted to us in place of my sinful life. When we believe the gospel, we are given the sinless life of Christ. That is how we are made righteous. When we believe the gospel, we commit our lives to him for his glory as his workmanship created for good works that others may see and glorify God. Works must always follow faith. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by faith through grace. And out of that faith comes works. When we believe the gospel, we commit to share the gospel with others that they may have eternal life. And that is the basic foundation of what it means to receive Christ as our savior, to repent of our sins, to commit my life to him, and then commit to say, I want to tell everyone I can about this Jesus, about this gospel, that others might come to know him. And we do that through communicating the gospel. We do that through our good works, that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so you've believed the gospel. You've trusted in Christ. You're at that place where you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I pray that everyone here and those watching online have made that decision. But I'll be real with you. I don't know if that's true. I've been in ministry long enough and been surprised by people who I thought were fully saved attended the church for many, many years, approaching me at the altar and saying, I need to stop playing around. I need to ask Jesus to save me. My jaw about hit the floor. I think I got a carpet burn on my jaw from hitting the floor so hard. And I said, well, what? He said, yeah, I don't don't know Jesus. Been going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, sitting in worship service after worship service. Wife knows Christ, family knows Christ. He doesn't know Jesus. And I said to this man, I said, man, I would love to pray with you. All you need to do is just pray and ask Christ to save you. And he looked at me and he said, and and this man was older. He said, I've never prayed. Sat in countless church services where we've prayed together. And he said, I I don't know how to pray. And that is the reality that American churches find themselves in, where people come in the doors and they sit in the seats and they watch online, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They think they're Christian because they go to church. They think they're Christian because they're a good person. They think they're a Christian because of some other misnomer, misunderstanding. 
My parents were Christians. I grew up in a Christian home or I'm a member of a church, whatever it might be. So I'm not naive enough to think, although I hope and I pray that it's true, that everyone in this room and everyone watching online knows Christ, intimately has a relationship with Christ. The Bible says, Jesus says, on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I've never known you. Notice God and Jesus does not say, I knew you for a little bit, then I didn't know you, then I knew you again, and then I didn't know you again. This idea of somehow receiving and losing salvation. He doesn't say that. He says, I never knew you. I've never had a relationship with you. You've never been my son or daughter. Because if you were my son or my daughter, I would never have let you go. And there are so many people in American churches today that go in, they lift their voices, they enjoy the worship music. Man, our band is, is awesome. Man, the programs are great and fun and high energy and I feel good. I got my motivational talk this morning and I can go tackle Monday now and I, I feel great. I got to do some good things. I put some money in the plate. I feel good about myself. I gave to the missionary. Man, that feels great. Those are all good things. But if you don't know Christ, the Bible makes it clear there is only one way unto salvation and it is revealed through the scriptures and it's through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ, you will not be in heaven. You will leave this world and you will stand before God as righteous judge because whether you believe it to be true or not, he is your judge. And you will stand before him guilty in your sin and he will rightly divide and say, you who know me, you're on this side. You who don't, you're on this side. And all of you on this side, you're cast away from me for eternity in the place of hell. And he's right to do so because we've deserved and earned that sin consequence. But the grace of God, which is available to you today, says and invites you to say, put your faith and trust in him and let him save you today. So if you don't know Christ, if you... So many people just say a repetitive prayer and and I'm not against leading someone in prayer, but if the heart of the person praying is not open and responding in faith, then those words are just vain words. I love the prayer of the thief on the cross. What was his sinner's prayer? Would you just remember me when you enter your kingdom? Would you just remember me? He didn't get down off the cross and write a tithe check. He didn't get down off the cross and get baptized. He didn't get down off the cross and join a local church and sing in the choir. He didn't do any of that. He just said, Lord, I believe. By the way, he made a great profession when he said, remember me when you enter your kingdom because he's acknowledging you're the king. So as king, would you remember me? Would you just think of me? Would you just remember me enough? Can I just have a little space in your kingdom? The disciples of Christ argued about who would sit in the best seat. This man dying on a cross for crimes he committed, rightly dying on a cross, says, I just need a little corner somewhere in the kingdom. Man, I could be in the way in the back. If it's a Baptist church, that's the best seat. So I guess in a Baptist church, you'd be in the front row. But just put me somewhere in your kingdom. I don't care. Just put me somewhere in the kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He acknowledged Jesus as king. He acknowledged his sin. He says to the other thief on the cross, you and I deserve to be up here, but he doesn't deserve to be up here. So he acknowledged his sin. He acknowledges the sinlessness of Christ. He's done nothing wrong, the man says. 
So in a simple remember me when you enter your kingdom, this man encapsulated really the heart of the gospel. I'm a sinner. Jesus is perfect and my risen savior. I need to believe on him so that I might be in his kingdom one day when I leave this world. Simple prayer. So it's not about praying a theologically in-depth prayer. It's about the simplicity of saying, Lord, I know who I am according to your word, which is a sinner. And I know that you desire to save me. And when you save me, I cease to be a sinner. I start to be a saint. So now that we've made that decision, we've trusted in Christ. I want to give you just honestly, relatively quickly, three keys to growth in Christ. So we're getting back to the basics. That's the whole point of this. We know Christ is our Savior. We've received the gospel. We've believed and we've trusted in Christ according to how Scripture lays forth. Now we want to ask the question, how do I now grow in Christ? How do I grow as a follower of Christ? Three simple keys to growth in Christ. First one is consistent time in God's word. Consistent time in God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let's go back to our text for a moment. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. For reproof, for correction. So when I'm thinking the wrong thing, scripture corrects me. When I'm doing the wrong thing, scripture corrects me. Then he goes on to say, for instruction in righteousness. So it's not just God saying, stop doing that. (laughs) We do this with our kids, right? Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't run there. Don't run with that in your hand. Why do you have that in your mouth going down the stairs? Like these are things we say to our children to stop them from what? Hurting themselves or harming themselves or creating a habit that could lead to harming themselves later. Now, I grew up with parents that were more of the mindset of, I'll just let him do it until he hurts himself and he'll figure it out. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Don't play in traffic. Well, you only do it once. You'll only play in traffic once and before you learn the lesson. But why is God saying this? He doesn't just say, don't do these things. He doesn't just correct bad behavior. He graciously tells us what? Here's how you actually should be living. Here's what you should actually be doing. How good is our God that he doesn't just correct the things we do wrong. He gives us wisdom in how we should be living for his glory and our blessing. He's so good to us. Verse 17. He tells us how we might have instruction in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You have everything you need to do the good works that God calls you to. And that maturity is a process. Tammy talked about the idea of sanctification, that we're being made more and more like Christ. We're being made holy. That's that maturing process. We're we're growing up in Jesus. You see, this starts with, I believe, time in God's word. Consistent may mean something different for you than someone else. But the key is more often than not, during a week, we should spend time with the Lord in his word. And so I just want to ask you a couple questions, and this is just for you. How often do you spend reading the Bible every day? Don't need to turn out loud, but just for you. Uh, on average, how long do you spend in not only reading the Bible, but deep study of God's word? In the course of a week, how long do you spend actually not just reading the words and and praying, which is good, I I love starting my day that way, but actually taking a passage or a chapter or a verse and really studying it out, really getting into the text to understand how to apply it. Many will say, I've read the Bible and nothing got better. I've read the Bible. I've done that. I did that for 30 days. Every morning, nothing got better. Some people say, well, I read the Bible and it didn't do anything for me emotionally. I didn't feel any different. 
Some people simply just say, I read the Bible and I just don't get it. I know Jesus and I love Jesus, but I just don't understand his word. There's things in there I just don't get. The truth is we do not read the Bible or study the Bible for what we get out of it. We do not read the Bible because it will magically make all of our problems go away. We devote time to God's word daily because God tells us to. He says study the word, so we obey and we study the word. Sometimes we'll read the word and it will change our perspective. I believe it always will if we're in the right heart or mindset. But it will change our perspective and our circumstances may not change. Sometimes the word of God will enlighten us to an understanding that we didn't think about before. But sometimes we'll read the word and nothing will feel any different. And we'll read the word and we're like, give me something, Lord. Like what? I feel like nothing's really happening here. But we don't read the word for how it makes us feel. We study the word of God because our father says, I want you to do that. And in time, with consistent study of God's word, it will produce a change in us. It may just not be evident to us as it's happening. As we study God's word because he tells us to, we are also blessed by reading his word. It changes our thinking, our feelings, our responses, our desires. Through time in his word, the spirit of God shapes our hearts and minds into the men and women God desires. It may not happen as you want it to. There may be some mornings where you don't, feel that that's taking place, but we trust in God's wisdom to say, if this is what he asks, he knows what's best, I will surrender to him. So not only consistent time in God's word, but a second key to growth in Christ, basics. We're just laying the basics. is communication with God through prayer. Now on the app and in your notes, I list out a handful of verses that we're not going to turn to for time's sake. But there are different examples of either individuals or the church praying together or seeking wisdom in prayer. Luke 11.1, 1, Jesus said, the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray as John, the, John taught his disciples. Acts 1.14, before the day of Pentecost, they were praying in the upper room. Uh, Acts 12.12, 12, this is when the church is praying for Peter to be released from prison. Ephesians 6.18, this is in that armor of God passage where Paul says, would you pray for me? that I would give the right words and all of that. I ask that you would give yourself to prayer and supplication, which is part of the armor of God. And so these are examples, just some examples, of the church and individual believers being fervent in prayer. So, same question. We talked about the Bible study time, but just between you and the Lord, how much time do you spend in prayer every day? What are the things that dominate your prayer time? Do you seem to pray consistently only when things are going bad? Do you only really pray when things aren't working out financially or there's relationship problems or there's health problems? God receives all of that. I'm not saying we don't go to him when those things are going on, but do we consistently communicate with him just because we want to talk to him, not because we need him to fix something? Prayer is, again, not primarily about what we get out of it, but how we can express our deep faith and trust in the Lord, glorifying him. So it's, again, primarily prayer is not about us. It's about him. It's about putting him in the center stage. Yet God, as our father, desires to hear the burdens and joys of our hearts. God is not a genie that does whatever we wish. But when our hearts are abiding in him, as we've been talking about, we're continuing in that. As we abide in his word, our prayers will reflect the desires of the Lord. And those are the desires that he will answer, not the desires of the flesh. 
when we pray and we ask things of the Lord, we should be praying, Lord, your will be done. Conform my desires to match your desires. And as that's happening, he's going to answer those requests and you're going to be blown away what God does. But it's not going to be the desires of your flesh. It's the desires that match up with his will. So again, giving ourselves to this idea of consistent time in God's word, communicating with him through prayer. And lastly, committing to faithful church involvement. Committing to faithful church involvement. Now, a passage we can, again, not turn to right now, but it's very familiar to us is Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, that we need to be not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but provoking one another to love and good works. But really, when I was thinking about this, and I was like, okay, Lord, where are some passages that deal with this idea of consistent church involvement for the Christian? And it was amazing to me that obviously Hebrews 10 jumps right out at you, and that's one of those key texts. But it's kind of registered with me that it wasn't so much one verse here and one verse there. It was the overarching theme of the New Testament. That it was just understood that believers gathered. That's why I believe, honestly, like you're not going to find 15 verses that tell us to gather as the body of Christ. Because the believers just did it. They just gathered because that was the natural overflow of being in Christ. Abiding in his word and communicating in prayer. I want to be with God's people. And so here we see this being a key area where we have growth in Christ. One of the distinguishing marks of the Christian life is the gathering of God's people. Christians are called and commanded to join in worship and service. We are invited into a deeper relationship with one another for God's glory and our blessing. Now ultimately, many Christians are unfortunately missing a key component of their Christian life. They read the Bible and they pray, but they're not consistently involved in a local church, and they, they're missing that aspect of growth. They will, in turn, miss what it is to be a part of a real family. Now again, some will say they tried church and were treated poorly. I tried church and nobody shook my hand. I went to church and nobody said good morning to me. I went to church and I saw believers acting like Unbelievers. I saw believers doing things that should not happen in church. Or I saw believers saying things and, and this or that. And it didn't seem like they were really acting like Jesus. Of course that happens. Of course. Because when you walk through the doors, we don't magically become a perfect person. We all have things we're battling with and dealing with. And that should never stop us from joining together. And if you come into a church that you experience that, first of all, I'm sorry that you were hurt by that, because I'm telling you, I've been in some situations in churches where I wanted to walk out the doors and never come back. Not because I abandoned Christ or wanted nothing. I wanted nothing to do with people. Because I saw people acting like two-year-olds, not mature believers. It happens. But that doesn't mean we give up on gathering as the body of Christ. Why? Because again, primarily, we gather because not what we get out of it, we gather because the Lord requires of us that we join the local church and worship him. That's what God asks of us. So we, in obedience, say, Lord, I'll go. I'll gather and I'll serve. You see, our growth in Christ as a whole is primarily about Christ and his glory through us. However, we are blessed as well when there is an evident maturing in Christ. So it's all about him. Why do we grow in Christ? Because it's about him. It puts him in the limelight. It's all about glorifying him. And I know we say that a lot around here, but I want it to sink in. Your time in God's word is about him. Your time in prayer is about him. Gathering with the church is about him. 
But as a byproduct of that, we are blessed from all those things. And he grows us and he matures us. And it's an amazing thing that we can experience that. My desire this morning, if I had to kind of, as I was writing this out and thinking about this, my desire this morning is what Peter says his desire was for the early church. That spending time reaffirming and reexamining these core essentials of the Christian faith would, as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance, that we may be mindful of the word which was spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So what is my desire this morning for you? That by reexamining this stuff this morning, these key core essentials to growing in Christ, and over the next three weeks, that we will end this series closer to Christ, that it would stir up in our minds to keep in remembrance the words that were spoken through the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament. And that by doing that, we would be drawn into a closer walk with Christ, maturing and growing in the knowledge of Christ, that we could be used by him to impact this world for Christ. I'm going to ask that you'd bow your heads right there where you are as we will spend the time in invitation. And I'm going to ask that you would just begin to pray right there where you are. That as we seek the Lord together this morning, that he would stir in our hearts and minds this desire, this longing to be with him. Our invitation this morning is very simple. As you pray there, do you know Christ? If you'd say, yes, I do know Christ, I've received the gospel. As you laid it out, I've done that. I've repented of my sins. I've believed and trusted in Christ. I've committed my life to him. I desire that he would use me. But if you're here this morning and you know Christ, but you would say, honestly, you're not really giving yourself to those things that will grow you in Christ. You're not really giving yourself to consistent time in his word or communicating with him through prayer or committing to local church involvement. Maybe that means just consistently gathering with the body for services. Or maybe that means serving in some ministry and helping to serve in some way and using my talents and my gifts to, to honor the Lord and to lift him up. Whatever it is that you know God is working in your heart with, maybe you would come forward this morning and say, Lord, I know you as my Savior, but I want to commit to these three things that will help me to grow in Christ. So help me today to make the commitment that I will be in your word every day. I will be in prayer every day. And I will spend time consistently with the church as opportunities arise. And again, don't think, I want to be in the word every day for the next six months. Start today. Lord, help me today to be in your word. Help me to be in prayer tomorrow. Help me to be in your word. Take it one day at a time and just continually watch him work and move and guide in your life. So whatever the Lord is doing, I pray that you would respond. Father, would you work among us as only you can by the working of your spirit. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they would come to know you this morning before they leave this room. If they're watching online before this stream ends before the service ends that they will make a choice to trust Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here with us that would, needs to talk to somebody about that, Lord, I pray that they would make that decision to maybe talk to the person that brought them or somebody that they know is a believer or even coming up front and talking with me, Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you would work in that situation. But Lord, for the believers here today that are struggling in their growth with you, they're not really maturing as a follower of Christ, 
would you work in their hearts and minds? And maybe they would come and make that commitment to say, I'm going to commit to these three things so that I might glorify God, be obedient to what he's called me to, and watch him change not only me, but the lives of those around me as I continue to keep my eyes on Christ. Father, whatever you're doing, we're thankful for it. We pray that we'd respond in faith, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Whether there in your seats or here up front, if you'd like to come and pray, we invite you to do that. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing?